Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to make disciples who honor God, love people, and impact the world. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's today's podcast. Here we are again, but it's good to be with you guys. I, uh, I love coming down to be with you. Obviously, uh, so many of you guys... Um, I've uh, gotten to know over the years, and uh, some of you have even come out of Corvallis down here, um, and uh, it's really special just to see uh, you guys again and see what God is doing here. But uh, I think the best part about it is just coming down to be with uh, Pastor Chris and, uh, and to support him as a leader. Um, I, uh, Pastor Chris and I, uh, the first day we met, you remember the first day we met? I'll never forget it. So we met in a fairly cliche way. We actually met uh, at a prayer meeting. So there you go. That sounds very spiritual, way more spiritual than our actual friendship is, I think. But, uh, but we met at a prayer meeting, and, uh, and so it was a bunch of pastors and, and ministers and just kind of from all over Corvallis were there at the time, and he was all the way across the room, but Chris isn't a guy that you can miss very easily. And, uh, and it's just, there's guys you can look at, and you just kind of know things about them. And Chris, you kind of like, well, if I had to place money I would bet he played football. You know what I mean? It's just a bet you would make and probably win. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, I bet you probably played football. And if I had to guess your position, you were probably offensive line. And even if he didn't, he just has that aura about him, you know? Just that protective kind of hard nature to him, whatever. Uh, and little known fact about me, I actually played quarterback when I was in high school. Uh, and so, like, just there's this piece of me that was just instantly drawn to him because every quarterback just loves their offensive line, you know, so much. And just, I felt like, I just feel like I should walk right behind you, you know what I mean? <laughs> Everywhere I go, just, I hope it's not weird. But, uh, and uh, so ever since that moment, I just felt like there was just a kinship and a bond. And obviously just seeing that relationship go from where it began, obviously to where it is now has been super fun. And to see Chris grow up as a leader, uh, meet his amazing wife, Bree, and four daughters later, who would have thought four daughters later? Uh, here we all are here together. So, um, so yes, my name's Seth, and uh, I pr- pretty much grew up in Corvallis, although I married a woman from Eugene. So I kind of straddle a little bit of that divide, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about, uh, about her and our journey a, a little bit later on, just to hold you in suspense. Um, but uh, um, I got reached as a college student when I was 20 years old on the Oregon State University campus, and I had not grown up in church and didn't know like barely know how to spell Jesus, let alone anything about him. Uh, I thought it was a little bit odd that people were always wearing like lowercase t's as necklaces and earrings and so forth. And that's about, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about what was what. Uh, and so when I first heard about Jesus, when I first heard the gospel, A, it was, it was totally disorienting because apparently this is a really big deal that it somehow missed me. Um, growing up in a family that, that uh, had never gone to church, never really been around, even when we were maybe around religious people or, or Christians, it, it wasn't necessarily in settings where people were talking about their faith. But I remember first hearing about Jesus and just feeling so intrigued and having my heart starting to just even warm to the idea of it. And I remember going from hearing of it to it almost sounded too good to be true to almost my start started wanting it to be true. It's like, oh, my, if this could be true, that I was made by a God who loves me, who has a plan for me, a purpose for me, and even gave his life away for me, this could be, this could be incredible. But it wasn't something I was just going to buy into unless I knew that there was some concrete evidence or truth behind it. When all that started falling into place, my life has really never been in the same sense. 
following Jesus has been the most amazing journey that I've been on. And, uh, and leading a church, I didn't ever think was going to be a part of the cards. Uh, but I did tell Jesus, I'd go anywhere and do anything for him. That's kind of, that's what I told him. And he's, he's taken me up on that. So like, I think Corvallis leading a church now. So that's how I got there. Um, and, uh, but I'm really happy to be here with you guys because this is an important season for you. And anytime a church gets to come together and talk about vision, talk about in this house, or really talk about um, what it means to be Grace City Eugene. You guys ever grown up, you guys ever have your parents drop that line on you? Like uh, where you say like, you know, mom, dad, you know, can I have whatever? Uh, can I have a cookie or whatever? It's like, no, we just ate dinner. But then you say, but at Billy's house, they always let him have as many cookies as he want. And then the parents will usually drop the line, well, in this house, <laughs> we, we don't have cookies after dinner. Or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Or, uh, you know what I mean, can I, can I ride my bike off of a five-foot cliff, you know? Uh, onto an old mattress I found at the dump, Mom. And uh, it's, no, we don't do that. Oh, but Stevie's mom, you know, totally lets him do it, and he only broke one bone so far, you know? Yeah, but in this house, we just, we don't do stuff like that. Um, every home, whether it's kind of uh, silly or it's meaningful, has their way about them. Sometimes it's rules, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's a way that we treat and love one another, and sometimes it's the purpose that we're actually gathered together for. And it's not necessarily to say that one household is better than another household. In fact, quite the opposite can be true. But what it is to say is it's important every time a community comes together in the name of Jesus, that they take time not just to acknowledge generally like what we're about, but to actually dial in, like, what is God actually saying to us? Who does he want us to be? There's so many amazing churches in this town. There's amazing people of God in this town. But how is it that God might uniquely have us contribute to the good work he's doing in this city? And those are really important conversations. And anytime you start to have those kinds of conversations, vision kinds of conversations, directional kinds of conversations, um, they kind of have a little bit of a bent to them because sometimes they can come with a lot of work to do as well. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed that. Uh, every time my wife tells me, I've got a great idea, I've got a new vision, I just, okay, just give me the list, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just give it to me now. Like, how many rooms am I painting and what pieces of furniture from Ikea am I going to spend the next 14 years of my life putting together, you know? Because I, I don't know how they have to be so hard um, for me. But vision always comes with there's things to do. There's ways to grow. There's opportunities to seize, and sometimes that can be difficult. And so when we begin the conversation about vision, sometimes it's important to begin in the right place. Because if we don't begin in the right place, not just with the what God has called us to do, but the who. Who is the God that is calling us to do anything? If we don't begin there, what can easily happen is burnout and fatigue and losing sight of what's really important. But if we keep a proper vision, I believe deeply, on who God is, who the God is that is actually calling us to the plan he has for us, I think this is what keeps us in the game. I think this is what keeps our energy and our passion high. I think this is what helps us to be healthy and prioritize and be well-balanced and all, and all the rest. Um, and so I want to help just kind of lay a foundation for all the amazing things I know that Pastor Chris is going to be talking about in these next couple weeks. And I want to do it by talking about God in a very, uh, gosh, a very uh, profound way. Uh, we're just going to dive into the deep end of the pool here this morning. Is that okay with you? Even if it's not okay with you. Here, here we go. Um, just take my hand. Here we go for a moment. Um, have you ever thought to yourself, 
what is God really like? Ever thought that? I think that all the time. What is God really like? And I think that because um, <clears throat> recently, um, my grandmother, uh, a few years ago, moved to Corvallis. She, she passed away just about a year ago, but she lived in Corvallis for the last few years of her life. And during that period of time, all of her photo albums and all of her kind of really uh, meaningful like possessions, all of those came with her. Everything else was kind of sold off or left behind uh, back in the Midwest. But she came out here and just brought all of kind of her essentials with her. And when she came, I really got to know both my grandma and my uh, late grandfather, that whole side of the family, and even my mother. It was my mother's mom. And I just began to find very, very quickly that the people that I thought I knew growing up had a whole rich backstory to them. And why they were the way that they were had rhymes and it had reasons to it. I found out that my mom actually used to be cool. <laughs> that was a thing. That was a thing that happened for at some point. And uh, I started to realize like, kind of where she ended up in life as she was, like where her drive and desires came for her career and for family. Um, I, I, I started to understand so much of the context because I began to see a little bit of what my family was like before I was around. And sometimes I think that's an interesting thing to think about with God. What was he like before I was here? My mom always tells me, like, oh, your dad used to be so much fun, but then you guys came, and he got very serious, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Apparently, we brought stress, I don't know, two boys who are always jumping off of tree forts and everything like that, and doing literal jumps off of cliffs into used mattresses. That happened at one point, I think. So, um, yeah, what, but what was he like? What was he like before we were here? Because how many of you know that who we really, like, what we're most truly like is when you just kind of take all the pressure off, expectation off, and you just got to be you. What do you like when you get a weekend to yourself, maybe the house to yourself, when you get to set your own agenda and do exactly what you want when you want? What do you like then? And to ask that question about God is a little bit tough to do. In order to do it, you'd actually have to go back and ask, well, what was he like before he was like ruling an entire universe? What was he like uh, before sin? What was he like before us? And that might seem like a very difficult question to answer. But you know, Jesus actually gives us a little glimpse into that world. He gives us this amazing little glimpse in John chapter 17. Now, he drops this really subtle line that would be so easy to read past and read over. But it is just the level of profundity, I think that's a word, profundity, uh, is just insane. John 17, verse 24, he's praying for his church, and here's what he says. He says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because, watch this, because you loved me before the creation of the world. So here he is, just praying for the church, you know, as Jesus does. And then he just drops this little line. I want them to be with me. And I want them to like see that my like radiant presence, all that is within my, I want to, the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And right there, he dropped this little line. What was God doing before the creation of the world? Before the creation of the world, there was a love relationship between a father, son, and spirit. This is what was going on. 
Now, you might wonder yourself, well, what other possibilities might there be? And there can actually be quite a few. If you envision a God that is just totally solo, that is not the way Jesus reveals God to be as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and if God is just one and he's hanging out before there's any world that he's actually made, um, he might be lonely and decide, you know what, I need people to hang out with, so here we go. Or he might say to himself, you know what, I am so powerful. But if I am so powerful and no one even recognizes how powerful I am, am I that powerful? It's like if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? If a God is so powerful that he can do anything, but there's no one there to worship him, is he actually that powerful? If God is just alone, truly a solo, one sort of type of God, then the reason he created us was out of some kind of lack or maybe some kind of need of acknowledgement. But if the portrait that Jesus gives us is true, then the reason even for the creation of the world is not because that God lacked, but because quite the opposite, he was so full. That before creation began, God was a love relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that love radiated so powerfully among them that it actually spread beyond them, like a fountain of spreading goodness. It was one of the famous Puritans, Richard Sibbs, describes it. This is a fountain of spreading goodness, that God's goodness was so good, and the love that they shared among one another was so powerful that there was no way to contain it simply within themselves. It had to be shared. And that's exactly what they did. And here we are. God created more in this world, particularly us, in order to share a love relationship with. And if this is how the world began, it frames so much of our life purpose and existence. Namely, it tells us that if we were made by God, that we were also made for God. If we were made somehow as his creation to be in his image and to be in his likeness, as Genesis tells us. It, that means with all the profound implications that the very purpose of our life is a loving relationship with God and others. This is what we're made for. There's nothing else you can substitute it for. There's no kind of career success or amount of possessions or money. There's nothing else in the world that you can actually accumulate in your life that could ever compensate for your purpose to be in right relationship with God and others. It's why some of you even can feel this at times, that your life can fall apart, but if you have healthy intimacy with God and the other important people in your life, dude, like things are okay. And yet the very opposite can be true. Like how many of you have ever had a moment where it's like, yeah, the promotion came through, the money came through, the extra things came through, but if everything else seemed to be going okay, everything else in your life seemed circumstantially to be right, but... Man, you're, you're really not talking with your parents right now, or there's something going on funky with your kids that you can't really connect, or you're, you and your spouse, you know what I mean? Things really are maybe at odds, or you're actively like fighting. This, things are not good. You and I were made for loving relationships with God and others. That's the core purpose of our being, because that is the God who made us. He's not just a God who values love and relationship. He's a God who is love and relationship. And when you understand how full we were meant to be with this love, this was meant to shape everything we were ever to do. And so when you begin to wonder how the world fell apart, how our lives fall apart, one thing that's important to remember 
is that if we were made by God for God, one scholar says that we were made in love, by love, for love. If this is true, then you can't just simply turn that off. If we were made in love, by love, for love, that means that humans by nature are lovers. We are made to love. But that's not something you can just turn off. So in Genesis chapter 3, when the Bible describes the ways in which humans broke their relationship with God, often called the fall, listen to the language that's described here when the actual moment is happening. It says, When the woman, who was told not to eat from a specific tree, looked at the fruit of that tree and saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Now look at that whole process. Now there's a lot going on here that we don't have all the time to talk about in terms of the serpent and the lies that were spoken and the half truths that were going on there. And her husband was sitting there the whole time just looking over her shoulder like, hmm. But all that aside, the woman looks at the fruit. She looks at it and says, this fruit looks good. It's pleasing to the eye. And then she looks a little more closely. And she starts saying to herself, you know what? I'll bet that can give me wisdom. I'll bet that can add something to my life that I lack. And you look at the process of looking at it, examining it, and deciding having it would be better for her life. You know what she's doing? She's falling in love. Isn't that how you fall in love? Dude, that's how I fell in love. You see someone across the room. And you see people all the time, but then you see someone and you look at them and you try not to be a stalker, but you, you, you investigate them. Maybe it's just their profile, maybe it's their actual presence, but you just, you check them out. And what are you looking for? Like, you're looking to see how good and pleasing to the eye they are, but, but really, like, is this someone that might add something to my life that's currently missing? Are they a missing piece, like, to, to my puzzle? And that's what you do. You look at someone long enough to discover what is like, what's not just outside of them, but what's in them, or whether or not that would be good and add something and be meaningful. That's exactly what the woman is doing. This husband and wife, they don't stop loving. They only redirect it. The tragedy of humanity is never that we stopped loving or failed to love, but simply that we started loving essentially everything but God. That we took our loves and we reordered them. We reprioritized them. C.S. Lewis has this epic quote where he says that the tragic story of humanity is about humans trying to find happiness everywhere except God. And this is what we do. And so when we look at the problems of the world, it's really just a problem of love. Not that we love, but that we are loving the wrong things or we're loving the wrong things in the wrong order. So it's not a wrong thing to love my wife or even my kids or even my job. But if I love it out of order, if God isn't my first love, then ultimately what I love, I will allow to lead my life. And so if I love money 
then money gets to lead. Money gets to make decisions. I make my life choices based on, well, is it financially wise? Or is it in my financial best interest? Is it going to make me more money? And I might use people. I might uh, hurt people. I might step on people in order to get more money. If I like power, I'll do the same thing. I will use people to gain more power. I might be nice to them, but just as a play to get power or get something from them. But if I love God, if he is my highest love, then everything else I love, whether it's a good thing or it's something that should not be loved at all, everything will be properly ordered because my life will be so full of my life's purpose. I will have the love of God deep within my soul. I'll actually give the love of God, the self-giving, self-sacrificial love in God freely. This is such a critical place to start, not just for any vision series, but for life. And it's why people drive themselves crazy with anxiety and worry and fear and feelings of unfulfillment. Because the desperate desire for intimacy with God and others, which lingers in our human heart, is the thing we try to ignore as we stuff it full of everything else. But I believe the good news that God has for us is that he didn't give up on us. And even when you see him send his one and only son out of that same radical love to rescue us and redeem us, we see the life of Jesus as the son of God become man that actually demonstrates for us the purpose of like, what humanity's life was actually meant to look like. And one of the first things that Jesus did in his public ministry when he was 30 years old, before any of his miracles or teachings that we have recorded, when he was 30 years old, he gets baptized. And it's recorded in several of the, in fact, all the gospels record it. And it says that as he's being baptized, something profound happens, kind of the heavens part and somehow the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and there's a voice from heaven where the father speaks to him and says three things. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, there's a lot going on in that moment. A, that's a quotation from Psalm 2, Genesis 22, and Isaiah 53, which are all like prophetic expectations of what the Messiah and Savior was going to look like. But even just on just a far more just obvious level, the Father at Jesus' entry point into ministry and did like the path of his life that's going to lead him straight to a cross. Begins it all by saying, this is my son, and I love him. Think about this. Jesus began his mission on earth with the love of God filling his soul. That's not a carrot on a stick that he chased after. This is my son who will save the world. And when he does so, I'll be super proud of him. This is my son who's going to get you all out of the hellish pit you dug for yourself. And once that's finished, oh man, I'm going to love that moment and I'll love him. But out of the fullness of God's love, Jesus did everything he did. And you look at his life 
And I know everyone loves to idealize Jesus in so many ways. Like, oh, Jesus would have been, if Jesus was here in the room, he'd be the nicest guy. He'd be the warmest person. Like, have you read Jesus? He's not always nice. He always is truthful. He always is acting on people's like best interest and for their good. But sometimes he says hard stuff to people, man. And can you imagine a Jesus that shows up to your village and he's the only opportunity that your lame son or that your dying mother has at being healed ever. And he goes through a crowd of people not quite able to get to you. And just as you get towards the front of the line, he disappears. No one knows where he is because he's just abandoned all of you to go hang out with his father for a little bit. And what looks like it might be mean on the just on the surface of how many villages Jesus left without satisfying all the needs that were present there, Jesus knew that the source of his life was the love of his Father. And he never went long or far before he needed to reconnect and re-engage on a deep and personal and intimate level with it. If this is all true, and I deeply believe that it is, it means that before we get any vision, not just for this church, but for our own lives, we better be very clear about who the God is that is giving us that vision. And unless and until you are filled with the love of God in your life and in your heart, you can even take God's own vision and twist it to be something that it's never meant to be. You can use God's vision in your life as a substitution for God. You can use the achievements that God has for you to do in your life and use that as a substitute for the love and intimacy he wants to give. But when we're rooted in his love, it'll actually be the very fuel to lead us through the rest of our life. And something happens, you guys. Something happens when we find this great affection and love of God filling our soul and freely return it back to him as well. People who are in love do crazy things. Uh, today is September 22nd, which means nothing to you, probably. But September 22nd is my 18th anniversary of when I proposed to my wife. Yes, woo indeed. And I proposed to her. Uh, it was a big kind of affair of kind of a most of the day sort of thing, but it ended up on Spencer Butte. And uh, we hiked to the top right at sunset, and a uh, beautiful sunset. It wasn't raining, and uh, I had a little glass of uh, sparkling cider in my backpack and a ring, and uh, got on a knee, and we both cried. She said yes, by the way, and, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, it was, it was wonderful and beautiful. But I remember that uh, about a year or so prior to that moment, about a year prior to that moment, I was really falling in love with this girl. She's pretty, you probably never met my wife, uh, many of you. If you have, then you can totally understand that she's just, she's rad in all possible ways. She's just amazing. She's incredible. And one of the things that was super incredible about my wife, that her work ethic was just, I just, there's something about someone who just works hard. It's just, that's cool. And uh, so my wife uh, had a paper route all throughout uh, high school. And even into college, whenever she'd go home during break, she would do the same paper route as a way. And she paid for a good chunk of her college through it. She worked really hard at it. 
It was a driving paper route uh, that was in the South Hills of Eugene. And uh, she would talk about it, how she had to wake up, you know, at like 4.30 in the morning to do this, to get it done before school and do everything else. And after all these years, you know, it was just drudgery and tired. She would tell me about this and how hard it was, but she needed the money. And so one, one, uh, one day, she was going home for a break. And I got an idea in my head. Dude, I was falling for this girl, totally smitten. I was pretty sure she was the one. And uh, I, was just, uh, I was just thinking to myself, what can I do to make her life better? Because when you're in love, that's kind of what you think about. What can I do to make her life better? And, uh, and so here's what I decided. I decided I was going to wake up at 3 in the morning. I was going to drive all the way down to Eugene, park outside her parents' house, kind of stalkerish, wait until she woke up, and then when she went to do her paper route, I was going to ride along with her to keep her company and then take her out for breakfast when she was done. Now, I'm, a, I'm not so much a morning person, so this was a real sacrifice. <laughs> Big sacrifice. Uh, I was actually playing football at the time, and we had practice before, and I had practice that morning to get back to. And I was just tired, very tired, but I did it. I was excited, and she doesn't know I'm coming, so here I am, parked outside her parents' house, you know what I mean, waiting for her to stumble out, you know, and, uh, and sure enough, you know, right just, just before five in the morning, here she comes out, just slumped over in her pajamas, crust still in the eyes, you know, just like a zombie walking out to the car to go deliver the papers, and here I pop out of my car, all excited, <laughs> I'm here, it's just, what are you doing here? I am here to keep you company, and she's so happy and just overwhelmed, I can't believe you do this for me, and like, I know. I know. But here's what I found out. Turns out that uh, my wife delivered the papers uh, in an old Civic hatchback. Tiny little car, and the papers had to sit on the front seat in order for her to... So I had to sit in the back of this tiny hatchback. Do I look like a hatchback body typed person to you? I'm not so much a hatchback person. So I'm sitting in the back of this hatchback as she's delivering her papers. Also, I didn't really realize, I should have realized, I didn't realize in order to deliver the papers, you have to have the windows open. <laughs> you know? So 5 a.m. in the morning with the windows open, and where does all that cold air go? To the back of the hatchback. And to make matters even better than that, um, I can't hear the conversation. The wind is so loud. I can't hear it. I'm asking her questions, and how are you doing? And I just, wah, 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 wah. I was like, oh, great. And then, her, because her route was up in the South Hills, it was very hilly and windy, and I am terrible with motion sickness. Like, I am awful. Um, I'd rather the Lord just kill me and take me now than send me back on that little death trap. So... <laughs> I am ready to vomit all over this little Civic hatchback as I can't even hear her <laughs> as I'm doing this extremely romantic gesture. I wanted to take her out for breakfast afterwards, but I swear there was zero chance of getting any French toast down at that point. I just laid flat on her parents' floor. I just remember laying flat for like an hour, try, praying to God that my stomach would settle and that I would not vomit in front of her because I'm pretty sure that would be a different moment in our relationship. But here's the deal. <clears throat> no one had to tell me to do it. No one was forcing me to do it. I was in love. If you think about everything that I did and someone coming along and saying, you know what you need to do? Here's what you need to do. Seth, you need to wake up at 3 a.m. You need to drive an hour. 
you need to sit in the back seat of a seat you don't fit in. You need to get extremely ill. You would just look at that list and say, no way. But when you're in love, you just do all of it without even thinking about any of it. And I do it again today. Once you begin to talk about the vision of a church, let's just be, can we be real? It's going to mean more work. A church growing means more people. Do you know what people are? Problems is what they are. They are problems. God loves them, and we try. You know what I mean? More people, more problems. Like P. Diddy said, more money, more problems. He was close. You know what I mean? It's really the people. That, that's the real problems. Like, I'd take your more money and trade you for more people. You know, like, that's what I'd say. Yeah, it's work. Um, and creating environments where you've prayed for people and you've set up hospitality and someone bought the muffins and someone made the coffee and someone's running the sound and someone's opening up their home and someone's like developing like a scriptures to like go through and meditate on and to help people grow. Someone is mustering up the courage to have the difficult conversations and someone is having to sit through someone else's anxiety, knowing that you can't fix it, but that God has called you to just simply be present in it. But if you are filled with the love of God, you don't burn out on the giant list of things to do. You count it all joy that you get to join the Father in helping his kids come back home and get to know him better. Because when you love him, you start sharing the love that he has, not just for you, but everyone else but you. And that love changes things. It changes you. There's this amazing quote. You got that quote from uh, Alexander, someone or other? I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm sure he's French or Italian or something. But Antoine, my man Antoine, not Alexander. He says this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. What if you just let yourself dream for a moment that the love of God would be made real to the city of Eugene, to the University of Oregon? The more of God's kids who he sent his son to die for might come back home and know him and no peace, and no love that their life was meant for, that they would actually step into their purpose and calling that he's designed them for. Imagine a church so filled with God's love for him and one another. Not, you guys won't be perfect, but imagine being able to be so safe and humble that when you struggle, you could admit it and share in each other's burdens. What if the way that you gave of your time and your money and everything else was out of the radical love of God and one another in such a way that needs would come up in your community and you'd be like, yeah, we got this. We got this. What if the love of God just started filling you and overflowing out of you and started really touching this city? Stop worrying about collecting the wood. 
oh, the little, oh, that's going to come. You have to manage that and do it strategically and thoughtfully and prayerfully, all of that. But there comes a moment where you just have to step back and say, Father, who art in heaven, your name is holy and there's no one like you. Would you please let your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven? And when your heart is so in love with God and his kingdom coming, the rest will fall in place. You'll ride around in the back of a hatchback getting nauseous. Because it's, if it's with Jesus, if it's with Jesus, it's always worth it. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this amazing church. And God, I want to thank you for your hand on this church. I want to thank you for the amazing people in it, the amazing leaders here. God, the love that you have poured out into them, I'm asking that you would just even more so increase the love you poured out into their hearts. Fill them. Fill them to the full measure of the fullness of God. Help them to know your love, which is unknowable in its depth and height and width and length. Father, I'm asking this church would be so filled with your love that they would be generous in the way they give it. God, refresh all those who are weary. Encourage all those who are downcast. God, and help them to trust you in the vision that you've laid before them. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.